series uh, entitled Scandalous, an inside look at the Corinthian church. As we flow through this, uh, this book of 1 Corinthians, we begin to learn some things, some integral things about this church, some things that, that we can look at and say, hey, uh, we don't want to do that. And there's some things that we're going to look at. We can see, hey, that's a good way to go. And so in all of our studying, in all of our, uh, our attempt to, to understand God's word, we want to make sure that we are solidly on base with what scripture is teaching. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all thy getting, get what? Some understanding. So we thank God for you. So if you have your Bibles, guys, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to First Corinthians chapter number seven. First Corinthians chapter number seven. And we're going to take a look at this, uh, this, this particular part of our teaching. Now, guys, as you know, I, I don't have to repeat this, but I want to just kind of say this to keep our mind focused. The church at Corinth was was birthed out of a decadent culture. And Paul wrote this this letter here in particular to number one, to to draw the church back together in a spirit of unity. We discovered when we first started this teaching that the church at Corinth was divided. Right. They were divided. There was there was not unity in the body. Uh, and a lot of that stemmed from their lack of spiritual maturity. Whenever you find division in the church, it's because somebody is not growing spiritually. Can I get half a witness up in here? Whenever you find division in the home, especially in the Christian home, that means that somebody in that Christian home is not growing and maturing in their faith. Can I get a witness? And so Corinth had division there. Not only did they have division there, Corinth had some issues as it relates to, to some, some lackness and some looseness in their morality. Because Corinth, the city itself, was a metropolitan city. It was a city that was populated by people from different cultural backgrounds from across the globe at the time. And they came together into this eclectic mix in Corinth. Uh, economic prosperity was going on, but sexual immorality was running rampant in the culture. And not only was it running rampant in the culture, but it had infiltrated the church. So Paul writes to draw them back together in the spirit of unity as a body of Christ uh, because the church was divided. But he also wrote number two to deal with their their lax morality, their, them allowing stuff to permeate in the church and not having a, a process where they will address issues that need to be dealt with. The Bible tells us that that sin is like leaven. Uh, you know, a little leaven will do what leaven the whole lump. If you allow sin to sit in your life and allow it to permeate, it's going to spread. Can I get a witness? Sin will spread. What did I tell you all about sin? We said that sin you know, will, will do what? It'll take you farther than what you want to go. It'll keep you what? Longer than you want to stay. And it's going to do what? Cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin will do every time. I'm here to tell you, I've experienced it in my own life. Amen. As even as before I was born again and after I was born again, whenever you find yourself in sin or you are doing something that you know is not right and you don't try to address that issue, it's going to cost you. Amen. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor. say oh, yeah. oh, yeah. You's going to pay. All right. All right. All right. Don't don't get mad. OK. All right. All right, so, so he, he wrote to deal with this lack of morality, and he wrote to also, number three, to answer quest, certain questions the church had requested Paul to answer. Questions concerning uh, marriage, questions concerning Christian liberty and rights, and 
questions concerning public worship and questions concerning spiritual gifts and the resurrection from the dead. And so so here, as we move into this next phase of this letter, Paul now begins to, in the seventh chapter, begin to answer some questions. In the first part, he was dealing with the problems. He was dealing with stuff that he had been told that was happening in this church. And so now he sort of moves a little bit over into this, uh, uh, this, this section here in the seventh chapter where he begins to answer specific questions that they had asked him about. So let's start reading at verse number one of the seventh chapter of First Corinthians. The text says this now regarding the questions you ask in your letter. The church wrote him a letter and said, hey, here's some issues that we have. We need some guidance we need some 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 apostolic instructions on. We need the wisdom of God's word on these issues. All right. Now, regarding the question you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. Okay, y'all with me? Let's keep reading. Verse number two. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Verse three, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Verse four, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now watch what it says here. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer and fasting. All right. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your what? Lack of self-control. Verse six and seven. I say this as a concession, not as a command. This next verse says, but I wish everyone were single. All right. Just as I am. Let's back up just for a second. Let's move back. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. He wasn't talking about the part before this. He's talking about the verse after this. Right. Because people people may say, well, but pastor, you know, you talked about wives submitting to husbands and husbands submitting to wife and them not defrauding one another. Paul said he was just saying it as a concession, not as a command. What he's getting ready to say now is a concession, not as a command. Watch this in verse number seven. It says what? But I wish everyone were single just as I am, but God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. In other words, Paul is saying, and we're going to look down here a little bit later on, what he's saying is that that really, in, 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 in all honesty, when you are single, you can give more to the Lord than you can when you're married as far as time is concerned. Is that right? Come on now, watch this. Watch what he says. He says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. Now, it is debated by theologians whether or not Paul was a, a widow or divorced. Because we know it, it's, uh, most uh, commentators agree that he was part, probably a part of the Sanhedrin Council. And being a part of the Sanhedrin Council, it required you to be married. So either Paul was either widowed or when he started running for Jesus, his wife left him. We don't know. The Bible doesn't really give us that crack, that, that, that particular thing open for us. But we do know at this point in time, he did not have a spouse. Are y'all listening to me today? All right. So he says, he says, but I wish everyone were single as I am. But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of what? Singleness. Now, listen, I, I say this every time I teach this because I want y'all. How many of y'all are here single? Come on. 
all the singles in the house, let me tell you something. You don't have to be embarrassed because you're single. I, I need to see the hands of the singles in the house. All right. Come on. Singles. Listen, I'm, I know we talk a lot about marriage and we have a lot of married couples in the church. But I don't I don't want you to ever feel like this ain't a place for you because you're single. As a matter of fact, when you look at what Paul is saying here, you are in a prime position to serve God with all your heart, mind and soul. You're in a prime position to give your all to the service of the kingdom. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, Cassandra told me this one day and I, I laughed at She said, listen, when I went home to church, I'm glad I didn't go home and cook for nobody. <laughs> she, she said, she said I, I, if I, if I want to cook, I cook. If I don't, I ain't got to. I know it's not grammatically, I ain't got to, but I, I kind of like the way that sounds. All right. So, so, so now, if 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 you, you you if you're single, if you're in that single category, however you got there, I'm not addressing how you got there. I'm just saying that if you're single, you have a prime opportunity, according to the Apostle Paul, to give your all to the Lord. Amen. Now, listen. I I, I would tell you. Here's why I think this is crucial and important. Now, listen. If there was a if there was a need that arose, and, and I, as a pastor, had to go address a need, and I was gone, and um. And I came back uh, three nights in a row at three o'clock in the morning. How many of you know my wife would have some questions? And yours would too, yeah. Come on. And how many of you know, you know, if, 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 um, uh, well, she would have questions. And yours would too. Because again, as a, as a husband, I do have a responsibility to, to share with my wife what I'm doing and, and, and to have her praying and in agreement with me what I'm doing. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh, right? So if we're one flesh, that means that, that when I go, it's like her going. Are you listening to me? All right. But now what Paul says here, don't miss the point, but I wish... Everyone was single as I am, but God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. Some of you may not have the gift of singleness. And it's okay to want to get married. But what I'm telling you, even if you want to get married, don't get desperate. Let me say it again. Even if you want to get married, you have a desire to get married, that's cool. Amen. God will have a problem with it. Marriage is honorable law and the bed on the fire. But don't get desperate. You know you get desperate when you just settle for anything. But baby, your standards too high. Well, you keep your standards high, lady. You keep them high because you don't just settle for anything or anybody. You're God's chosen vessel, and God wants to use the mind. Now, now get, come on, can we can we keep reading? Let, let, let's go back up, flip back up to, ver, to verse number one with me, right quick. Verse one of the seventh chapter. And you look at the outline. Uh, Paul begins to uh, deal with the questions uh, concerning marriage, and the question, uh, the question. Uh, of, of celibacy in marriage, the cel- question of celibacy in marriage. Okay, he, he says now regarding the questions you ask your letter, because again, he says yes, it is good to live a celibate life. What is a celibate life? What is that? Somebody talk to me. Celibacy means that that I'm going to live a life where I I commit myself told to the Lord, and I'm going to refrain from sexual uh, relations. That's what it means to be celibate. Okay, that means that. That I'm going to give my my time, my energy to the Lord, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna live in such a way 
that I'm not going to be bent out of shape if I don't have a man, if I don't have a woman. In that sort of way. I don't know. I get a feeling in this church today. (laughs) Can y'all pray for me right now? All right. I'm just teaching what the Bible says. Okay. Uh, So he says, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. Now, guys, I want to tell you something. If celibacy is not your gifting, it's, it's, it's probably advisable for you to get married. I'm, I'm going to say something, and, and again, God knows, and you, you, this has been in the news, I'm not saying anything that's not in the news, but you know, if you've been reading about what's happening with the Catholic Church, um, and, and some of the, some of the, uh, the things that are going on there with the priests and the molestation, and uh, even to the point to where some of the nuns were almost like captive sex slaves. In some of those incidents, I'm not telling you, I'm not saying anything that they hadn't already revealed and that the, that the current pope is, is trying to expose some of the stuff that's going on in the church. But I, I got to believe that if, if, if a person wants to serve God, th- th- there's not a, a biblical mandate that you not be married. Okay? So now I think, and, and this is not an excuse for anything that's went on, but I think that. Uh, there should be liberty to allow a person who who wants to serve God to also have a spouse. All right. And so some of this stuff is going on. And, and I think some of it's going on because people have have, have put people in those positions. And, and then now, uh, if they don't have the gift of celibacy, now they try, now they because they don't have the gift, then they're trying to do things that they shouldn't be doing if they had the gift. Amen. Watch what verse two says. OK, so so he says now he said, but. But because there is so much sexual immorality, now remember the context. Remember the context. Context rules the day. Context gives you understanding into the scripture references. Anytime you go to study the Bible, make sure you know the who, what, when, where, and how, and why. So Paul, remember, was writing to the church at Corinth. Paul was writing to a church that he was instrumental in helping establish, and was writing to a church that found itself in the middle of this culture. That found itself having uh, reached people, got them saved, but they brought some old habits into the new life. And so he has to address those issues because it is not healthy and it is not, it is not good for the church to have sin running rampant and nobody addressing it. We saw that in that fifth chapter where this guy who, who we probably was a prominent member, but nobody addressed the issue that he was dealing with. So, so again, um, he says, uh, you know, so, the outline says there are special situations for not marrying. In other words, if you have the gift of celibacy, then it's okay, it's cool to, to, to not be married. Uh, there is a condition necessitating marriage. He says, he says, because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. He says, because of what was happening in the culture, it's, it's, it's advisable for you to be married. There was so much sexual temptation and sexual decadence going on in the culture. Paul says, I don't want you to get caught up in that stuff. So as a result, uh, given the situation, it's advisable for you to marry because everybody don't have that gift. Right. And each woman should have her own husband. Verse three. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's need. Now, again, uh, there are mutual duties within marriage. In other words, 
I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we talk about this a lot in marriage fellowship. But the one thing I would tell you is that this part of the relationship needs to be something that you are certainly prayerful about and that you realize is a, that is an integral part of, of the marital bed, of the marital relationship. The Bible says uh, marriage is honorable and all and the bed undefiled. So what, what this means is this. OK, watch this now. Ladies, y'all hear me now. And gentlemen, y'all hear me now. What this is saying is, is that if you are a Christian couple. Wow, it's quiet in here. If you are a Christian couple, if you are born again believers, and you're in a marital relationship, it is wrong to defraud your spouse. Three amens. Okay, thank you. What he's saying is it's wrong. He says the husband should, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Now, sometimes when we, when we preach this, uh, sometimes we have a tendency to think that it's all one way. But I'm here to tell you, and you, you deceive yourself if you think so, but there are many wives who have husbands who are not fulfilling her sexual needs. <sighs> Help me, Holy Ghost. He says... This is very plain. Now, again, we gotta, we gotta approach this the right way. And as I told you all, uh, all the time, this should never be approached from a legalistic standpoint. In other words, Paul is giving guidance to the church because the church asks him questions concerning this issue. So if you are married, I'm not talking about you got a, 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 a friend. I'm not talking about somebody who you are going with. I'm not talking about somebody who you're dating. So let's, let's make no mistake about it. Spiritually speaking, if you are single, this don't apply to you. Oh, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. And so when you approach this the right way and have the right mindset, it should never be a situation to where it's, it's, it's a drudgery or it's a duty. But it should be done as, as an, an appreciation and as a, 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 having a clear mindset of how God expects us to view our spouse, the one who we walk down the aisle and said we're going to enter in the covenant relationship with. We should, we should never approach it from the standpoint where you, where you got to do this. And you bring the Bible out and say, hear what the Bible say. And tonight's tonight. Because the Bible says so. Do you not realize that, that, that it, when, when you approach it that way, uh, it, it actually makes that particular thing that God says should be an act of beauty become something that's less enjoyable. Okay, so I'm just, this is my preacher on Sunday morning context. Come to the marriage fellowship and you'll get a little deeper than this, okay? We'll talk a little bit more, but let's keep moving. I don't want, I don't want to get caught here. Verse number four says what? The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Gives authority means that, 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 that I am going to submit myself to your desire and your will. Alright, watch this. Can we keep moving? Alright, verse number five. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree. 
Everybody say both. Everybody say both means plural. It means two people. Not just one, but what? Both, not I and not you, but it's us. Both are, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer and fast. Go, go to the KJV because the New Living Translation right now leaves out fasting there too. But I think it's prayer and fasting because uh, we, need to re- we need to recognize this, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Now, again, this, this is being spiritual. In other words, uh, as, as a husband and, 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 and as a wife, we should always position ourselves to make sure that we are uh, 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 available to, to meet our spouse's uh, uh, sexual needs. Amen. Again, everybody say married folks. Say so not, 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 not just any folks, but married folks. All right. So he said, now watch what he says here, because, again, remember, remember the context. Remember the culture. A sexual immorality was rampant in Corinth. And Paul is dealing with a question that they asked him about. Let me dig a little deeper and tell you what was going on. There were some even there are some people who had gotten so spiritual that they had over spiritualized even their marriage. They said that, well, you know, in order to refrain from um, uh, from from any sexual immorality, I'm going to declare myself to be celibate. But, but, but there were some who said that who were already married. <laughs> no, I'm serious. They were already married, and 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 they took the doctrine of celibacy too far and began to say, "Well, I'm going to be celibate because I got to I got to give myself to the Lord." And they had a husband, or they had a wife. And they took the teaching of celibacy too far. When you are married, baby, you don't have the privilege to say, well, I'm just cutting it off. I'm going to serve Jesus to the day I die. And husband, I love you, but I, you can't have me. A wife, you can't have me. So they had taken it too far in their spiritual zeal to try to do it right, some had taken it too far and tried to introduce celibacy into their marital relationship. So that's what Paul is having to deal with here. Don't forget the context. He says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer and fasting. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So again, there's to be mutual ownership of one another's body. There's to, there is the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. And if you don't have the gift of singleness, it's okay to seek to be married. But while you are single, enjoy your singleness. Enjoy your ability. And when I say enjoy your singleness, that means that, that you have, as a single, you have all of the time and, and, the, and the, the individual direction that you need to give that time to God. To, to earnestly and honestly, amen, allow yourself to be a vessel that God utilizes to help advance his kingdom principles. Amen. So the first question he asked was the questions uh, concerning marriage, the question of celibacy and marriage. In other words, if you are a married couple, celibacy does not belong to you. If you are single, you should be celibate. You're commanded to be celibate. I hear somebody say, well, but Pastor, I don't messed up. You know, I got two or three children, and, I, I, and some of y'all ain't got children, you don't messed up. It's just that the one that got children got caught. You didn't. How many of y'all know the baby's never the sin? The fornication is sin. 
The baby is a, the baby is life. God is the giver of life. Amen. I said this before and I said it again. And, 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 and I don't mean no harm. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. But but sometimes uh, we, we make judgment determination about people uh, and um, and we shouldn't be doing that from the standpoint of not in the right way. And I'm not talking about I told you before we judge sin. We judge. We call right. Right. We call wrong. Wrong. That's what the Bible tells us that we we need to judge what's right according to God's word. But 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 what I'm saying, sometimes people will judge your, the validity of your salvation based off of the act that you did. How many of y'all know that all of us in here have done some stuff since we've been saved that if you look at it individually, you say, you couldn't have been saved. We messed up, right? We've, uh, we, we, we've fallen into sin. But thank God that the Bible tells us that, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that don't give me a license to wallow in sin. God will deal with me if I'm his child and I'm wallowing in sin. If I got a practicing lifestyle of sin. Are y'all with me? So now he begins to, he goes on a little bit further. Let's go to this eighth verse. And uh, he begins to ask us some specific questions about the unmarried, the divorce, and believers married to non-believers. Okay? Believers married to non-believers. Um, if I, I, believers married to non-believers is what I call a mixed marriage. I, I was going to put mixed marriage on there, but I know some of y'all still got to have your mind renewed because you think mixed meaning, uh, uh, we talk about racial relationships. God ain't got a problem with nobody marrying whoever they want to marry. As a matter of fact, God don't even, he, he doesn't couch it in those terms. We, I, I, again, in America and even across this globe, we, we, the church has to become the leading example for learning how to deal with this problematic issue of race relations. If the church don't get it right, the world can't get it right. And the church ought to be the one saying, it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from. God loves you. You are part of God's family and you are free to come to the throne room of grace. It's, it doesn't matter who you look like, where you come from, then you can marry that person as long as y'all are believers. I said, as long as y'all are believers. All right. Okay. So, so, so let's, let's move. It says, so I say to those who aren't married to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. That's, there it is right there in the Bible. Who said that, Paul, right? So in other words, whenever somebody come down on you, baby, you, ain't you 30? Is it about time you found you a husband yet? How many of y'all get those questions at the family reunion? Anybody in the house? Oh, so next time, say, say, Grandma, I love you, Grandmama, but you know, Paul says that, 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 that it's, it's better to stay unmarried just as he is. So I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul as long as I possibly can. If that's not my gift, I'll find somebody. God will lead me to somebody. But you know what? I'm not going to go out and go get somebody who, who, uh, who's not saved. And, you, and come on now, you, you, you have a pretty good idea if that person knows the Lord or not. Does he, does he even talk about Jesus in it? Does he even have a church home? Does he know his pastor's name? First clue, I told you before, I can't tell you a number of times I've talked to guys who dating girls and I ask them, they go to certain church, they don't even know the pastor's name. If you do not know your pastor's name, that is a good sign that you are not very much involved in your church. And if you happen to be a believer, you're not a growing believer because a growing believer will be connected to a local assembly. 
Because he understands what Hebrews 10 and 25 says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but come together even more as you see the day approaching. So a, a growing believer, a growing Christian, uh, whether it's a future wife or future husband, amen, will, will have some evidence of that. So as a, as a Christian, Christians shouldn't be marrying non-Christians. That's the only criteria God had. Be ye not unequally yoked together with what? Unbelievers. Amen. And don't try to do what they call missionary day. You know what missionary dating is? You date him and go try to get him saved. You're going to marry him and try to change him after you marry him. Guess what? Everybody say mistake. mistake. Marrying him ain't going to make him. He cheating on you now. Why do you think he'll get better when you get married? Or she cheating on you right now? What makes you think it's going to get better when you get married? Well, we're going to be one night. <laughs> Guys, let's, 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 let's walk in wisdom, okay? Let's not fool our own self. So I say to those who aren't married and the widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Look at verse number nine. Watch this though. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, when we, when I, I remember when I first read this passage here uh, in and from the KJV says, but if they cannot marry, let them, if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And I, when I first saw that, and some people interpret it as, okay, it's, it, you're going to burn in hell. But it's talking about burning with lust, because you're dealing with the situation in Corinth. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, again, I will caution you, don't get married just to have sex. Is this teaching a little too hard for a Sunday morning? Is it, are y'all, I, I, I want to help us. Don't get married just for sexual uh, pleasure because, you know, throughout the course of a marriage relationship, your, your, your sexual uh, relationship may not be as, 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 uh, okay, <laughs> some of y'all, I ain't going to use that word. Y'all, so y'all, y'all ain't going to take me there tomorrow. Hot. No, I ain't saying hot. Yeah, I like that. It may not be as vibrant. Thank you, Alia. Thank you. This I don't know about this sex over here to my hot. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, pray for the section over here. <laughs> I'm just messing with y'all. Okay, okay. I was thinking the same thing, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to say that. Okay, vibrant. So, so, so throughout a marriage, guys, here's the beauty of a relationship in a marriage. It, it goes beyond the physical. When a person knows you emotionally, knows you spiritually, it's deeper than just physical. Than the physicality part of a relationship. And I'm telling you, you learn this as you, as you grow in the Lord and as you grow in your faith and you grow in wisdom. Marriage is more than just being in the bed. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you think you'll get married and be in the bed every day, 24 hours a day, you are sad. Somebody got to work. Somebody got to clean up. Somebody got to do some other stuff. And somebody, somebody will get tired of you. I'm trying to help you. The, 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 doesn't mean that 
that, that they don't desire you. But sometimes there's, there's, there's more to life and there's more to a relationship than the physical part. Now, again, the physical part is not the most important part, but if it's not right, it becomes the most important part. So you got to take care of that part, but, but make no mistake about it. A true, vibrant, godly covenant marriage is more than just the physical part of it. Okay? Everybody with me? All right. So, so again, so the unmarried and the widows, he says, he's giving advice. He says, but if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn. Go, keep reading. Next verse says what? Uh, the unmarried, you go to the married Christian couple and divorce. Says, but for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. What Paul is saying right here is I have a direct command from God, from Jesus Christ himself, as I'm getting ready to talk about this particular issue. He says a wife must not leave her husband. Can I read it again? A wife must not leave her husband. Verse 11, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flesh it out for you, okay? I, know, I, I see some of y'all right now. I left my husband, Pastor. What that, what that means for me? Watch this. But, but, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now, remember, what are we dealing with right here? We're dealing with don't miss the context because Scripture has to interpret Scripture. All right? I've, I've, had, I've had people... Uh, uh, to the detriment of, of, of those who they were teaching would say some stupid stuff like, well, you're, you, you come to count. I'm sorry. Please forgive me for saying stupid. Not wise. Uh, come to counsel. Their husband is physically abusing them, beating them every weekend. And you have some some preacher tell them, don't you leave him. That 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 is total taken out of context. What Paul is dealing with right here is the Corinthian culture, and, and again, it's not. You should not really. Let me, can I can I talk to us right quick? The Bible talks about uh, that. Jesus even said this uh, uh, when it comes to to leaving uh, and not having be under, under bondage or obligation uh, in a marriage relationship is whenever you leave for adultery. As a matter of fact, that tells you God thought so much of of the covenant relationship and the exclusivity I can't even talk this morning, exclusivity of it that, that he says that the one sin that, that, that I will tell you that you're no longer on the bondage to remain there is when that spouse commits adultery he says you're no longer on the obligation now, but now watch this now Just because, if, if that happens to happen, I know people deal with all kinds of stuff if that does happen, that don't mean that you have to automatically go out and get a divorce. As a matter of fact, I've said this before and I've said it again. The, if you really want to know and see the true love of God, it's when somebody messes up and they are honestly repentant. And they, and they turn away from what they did. And that spouse who was victimized chooses to receive that person back, even though they have a right spiritually to say, I don't want, I don't want this marriage anymore. That is, that, that, it, to me, guys, I don't know about anybody else, but that is the epitome of the love of God when a, when a, when a believer will say, I got the right to cast you aside and I'm going to be spiritually correct. But you know what? I, I, it hurt. I, it, it caused me to think about doing something to you. Uh, but, but but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna allow God to use me to show you how his how his love is. Now again, this is somebody who's repentant. 
Because if somebody keeps on doing the same thing over and over again, there's a problem. Hello. There's a problem. And, 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 and at some point in time, you know, if, if you continue to allow that person to keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again, they have not repented. Repentance means I've turned away from what I've been doing and I'm going in the opposite direction. But, but, but again, uh, he says here, but if she does, if she does leave and let her remain single or else be reconciled and the husband must not leave his wife. Uh, watch this, because again, remember in this culture, a husband could pretty much divorce his wife for anything. She burnt the cornbread. I want a divorce. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, because again, in this culture, it, it, was, it was still a male-dominated society, even though when Christ's death, burial, and resurrection had allowed women to have more freedoms, at this time it still was a male-dominated culture, particularly those who were who, who followed under Judaism and, and were and were or just frivolously ignoring God's command about the marital relationship. So he says, now I speak, I will speak to the rest of you. Uh, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord, if a Christian man had, he said, I don't have a direct command from the Lord. In other words, Jesus didn't specifically give me a, a, a word where I can quote verbatim. But again, Paul is writing. He's giving his advice. So when he writes, what he's writing here is in the canonization of scripture. Are you following me? He, he's saying, I didn't have a direct command from God. But he says, watch this. I, I will speak to the rest of you. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer... And she's willing to continue living with him. He must not leave. In other words, don't don't leave your wife because she's not saved. And she's willing to stay with you. What were we dealing with in Corinth? All right. They were trying to deal with these issues of sexuality, sexual immorality in the church. And so he's advising them. He must not leave her. Look at the next verse 13. Let's go. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer. And he's willing to continue living with her. She must not leave him. In other words, you can't divorce him because he ain't saved. Y'all are, y'all are already married. What, what should have happened is before you got married, you should decide where this person stands spiritually. But, but now that you got saved, because what had happened was there were, there were many who gotten saved after marriage. And so they were saved and their spouse was not saved. And there were some in the Christian church who were now divorcing their spouses because they were not saved and they were not saved. Paul said that's not right. That's wrong. Okay, you, you keep living the life. Watch what he says. And I watch it. Next verse. Come on, let's read. For the Christian wife brings holiness to a marriage and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy. But now they're holy. In other words, listen, you, 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 you're the saved spouse. And as a saved spouse, you keep living for the Lord and you keep being that person of virtue and honor and live that life before your spouse. And prayerfully, as your spouse sees you, amen, being genuine, amen, in your walk with the Lord, it will impact them. Can we keep reading? Verse 15, let's go. But the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving. Let him go. Let him go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. In all honesty, guys, in some relationships, it's, it's, I mean, you can't make somebody stay with you. Hello? You cannot make somebody stay with you. 
And here's the truth of the matter, guys. I, I don't know about anybody else. And, and if it ever comes down, it's not, I, I, I pray that it never does. Not my, my beautiful, lovely wife, again, I'm not going to make her stand up again. I made her stand up last Sunday. And, and some of y'all talked about me because I made her stand up last Sunday. I'm, I'm just joking. So, so. But, but if I, I, I don't, I, I don't, <laughs> somebody said, just say it. I, I don't want it to ever be to a point to where she doesn't want the relationship. Now, again, we, we're mad. We, we're both believers. OK. OK. Look at what the text said. But if, if the husband or wife who isn't a believer, we both are believers. He's dealing with the Corinthian church because some of them had had were divorcing their wives because they were no longer they were saved and their wife wasn't saved. So that's what he's dealing with in context. Everybody say, remember the context. All right. He says, but but again, we're talking about two believers. I, I don't want my wife to be with me just because, well, I want her to be with me because she wants to be with me. Okay? And and, and if something were to happen, uh, if she decided to leave, uh, you know, I, 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 I would just say, uh, uh, I'm going to beg you to stay, okay? <laughs> Call. <laughs> Carl, I, I thought about uh, uh, Carl. I, I thought about your group and you and God in the group that when y'all were doing a little uh, uh, temp- is it temptation that saying that if I if ain't too ain't too proud. I, listen, I'm, I'm not too proud to beg. And some of you brothers out there right now, you look at me like man, you're more fish in the sea. But let your wife decide to leave your tail. Oh, baby, you know I mean that. Come on, please, baby, please, please, please. I know some of you, some of you looking at me like, yeah, I'm, I'm a man's man. Some of y'all have begged before. I look at and tell you. You ain't going to tell me. No man is going to admit it. He's ever begged before, but he has. Can I get one witness up in here? I'm just being transferred. I begged before. Come on, baby, please. Come on. Talk, talk to me. Don't give me the silent treatment. Talk to me, please, please. All right. <laughs> Can I keep moving? Y'all, y'all messing with me today, okay? Right. I'm trying to help us. So, 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 so for God has called you to live in peace. Now watch the next verse. Come on, verse 16. All right, so, so specific question about the unmarried, divorced, and believers, married to non-believers. He's dealing with that now. The unmarried and the widows, the married Christian couple and divorce, and the married Christian with an unbelieving spouse. So again, here's what I'm going to tell you guys when it comes to divorce. And I, and I know divorce happens because we live in a sin-sinned world. Even, uh, you know, Jesus mentioned the fact that he allowed Moses to, to allow the children of Israel to write bills of divorce because of the hardness of their heart, because of sin. And, and we know that stuff happens. Adultery, we, abandonment. If, 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 if your spouse abandons you and moves to, uh, to Las Vegas and, and starts living with somebody else, what are you supposed to do? Stay right there and wait for them to come back? I've heard people advise them of that. Improperly uh, exegeting the scripture text. If your spouse leaves you and uh, uh, shacks up with somebody else and it is not biblical for you just to wait for them to come back and change their mind because they left. He says, don't don't your wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't your husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Remember the context. Watch what was happening. Remember the context. In Corinth, uh, some had gotten to the point where they were even super spiritual. They were going to divorce their unsaved spouse. But Paul says, you have the ability, you have influence 
If you're living this life before them, it can impact their life and change the way they view life and allow them to see Christ in you, then they will submit their heart to Christ. That's what he's dealing with here. So he, he addressed some of these questions. Uh, so let's move down to the third part of our uh, second part of our outline, the question about the Christian and his position in life. OK, look at verse number 17. So he had questions. And again, guys, there's so much more I could talk about on marriage. In the, in those, but I'm not, I'm not going to spend too much time. I'm, I'm just giving you an overview of this, okay? Because Paul dealt with that issue. Uh, and, and I want to encourage each one of you spouses as it relates to uh, giving authority to your body to your spouse. That is, that is a biblical uh, command. And so do it with, in the spirit of love, not in the spirit of, of, of just, uh, I mean, just a spirit of just I have to, Okay. I don't like have to spirit. I like, um, you know, willing spirit. It's just like anything else. You know, I tell you before, I, I don't love my kids because I have to. When they were minors, the law says I had to take care of them. If I were to abandon them, leave them at home by themselves when they're five years old, I could go to jail. I wouldn't leave them at home. Uh, I would not leave them at home just because of the threat of jail. I would not leave them at home by themselves at five years old because I love them too much to, to, to leave them there and allow them to, to mess themselves up and, and everything else up. Okay, I do it because I love them, not because the law says so. Amen. You should love your children because you because it's the biblical God on thing and it's a part of your heart, not because you're afraid you're going to get in trouble. Some people don't sin because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. But the, the highest and the best reason for not sinning is because you love God so much you don't want to hurt his heart. Don't not do something just because, well, you know, I would take that money, but they may catch me. You work at the company you were taking if you if you knew you weren't going to get caught. That's not that's not the right motivation, guys. Listen, some people say, well, you know, I came to Jesus because I'm scared of hell. That's good that you're scared of hell. <laughs> you don't want to go to hell. But wouldn't it be better to come to God and to come to Jesus because you you you, you experience his unwavering, unconditional love? And you saw how much he cared for you before you even cared about yourself. That's a higher motive than trying to miss hell. Now, granted, you got saved because you were scared of hell. That's good. But I think it'd be better to get saved because you, you experienced God's vibrant, unconditional, I mean, awesome love that he, that he showed for us by giving his son to die on the cross for our sins. That's what, that's what attracted me to God. His love for me, the unconditional love for me. He thought enough of me to die for me. Man, that's awesome. That is an awesome thing. Now watch, let, come on, we got to keep moving. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. I said, again, the question about the Christian is in his position in life. He says, uh, and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all churches. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And I don't know how you reverse circumcision, but you know, and I, if I were circumcised, I wouldn't want to get it reversed because I mean, yo, first time out wouldn't be good, okay? But, but again, for, Paul says this, he says, if you were circumcised before he became a believer, he should not try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. All right, now watch this now because again, uh, look at what it says, fact number one, God calls people from all positions in life, from all conditions and levels of society. In other words, you know, 
Maybe you're from down south and you speak with an accent. You don't have to try to change your accent because you got saved. Hello, maybe as, as a born again, before you got born again, you were very outgoing, jovial, uh, made people laugh type person, uh, had a sense of humor. Now that you got saved, you don't have to walk around. I'm deep. I know Jesus, so I can't smile now. I got to show people that I love the Lord. It's okay. God calls people from all walks of life into the kingdom. And thank God for variety, guys. I thank God that everybody ain't just like you. I thank God that everybody ain't just like me. Think about this for a second. What would the church be like? Think about it. I want, okay, let's do a little exercise. What would the church, what would EBC be like if everybody was just like you? If everybody had the same level of commitment that you have to the church? What if everybody gave the same as you gave to the church financially? Could we have built this new sound booth? Could we have expanded this stage? Can we expand the parking lot some more? Do we need some more parking lot? Okay, somebody told me we did, okay? So, so if, we, if we expand the parking lot, could we expand it based on how much you give? I mean, if everybody in the church gave what you gave. Now some, yes. Man, if everybody gave what some gave, man, we, I mean, I, when I say uh, gave the same amount, I'm, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the dollar amount, I'm talking about the percentage and the quality of your giving. The quality. See, see, see the widow with the mic gave more than all the rich folks. So let's you, let's you mistake where I'm going with this, amen. It ain't the quantity, but it's the quality of your giving. I wonder if everybody gave, was your quality level giving, what would we be able to accomplish? Would we be able to buy these cameras? Would we be able to finance radio ministry? Would we be able to, uh, to, to do uh, vacation Bible school at the level that we did it and, 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 and be able to decorate and feed people and give them more than punching cookies? That's going to resonate with some of y'all. Some of y'all all had remember going to Vegas and Bible school, and, and when it's time to eat, they gave you three, four cookies and a little punch. I ain't, I'm not mad. I'm not, again, I'm just, I'm just telling you where, how far we've come. But guys, listen. Thank God for variety in the body of Christ. Thank God that everybody's not just like us. God calls us from different places in society. He calls different personalities. He calls different people with different gifts in this body. Look at this. Watch this. And the man who was circumcised when he became a believer should not become, should not be circumcised now. Watch next verse. Come on, let's go. For it, for it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. In other words, it's not so much important about really uh, whether or not you wear a dress or pants. Now, if that's your conviction to wear a dress every time you come to church, that's your conviction. But don't make that a law. Your righteousness is not determined by your dress. I told you this before, I said it again. And, and, and for, so, for so long, we, we, got, we, we got sidetracked and we were, we were major on the minor and minor on the major. And if somebody came in not dressed 
like we thought they should be dressed, we would criticize them. And in some churches, they wouldn't let you come in to hear the gospel. Even if you left work and your work required you to wear pants, you couldn't come to the funeral. You couldn't come to the, 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 the midday revival. You couldn't come leave work, get off work at 6.30 and come to the revival at 7 if you had your pants on. And what they, mistook, what, what they mistakenly did was allow the outward appearance to determine, determine the righteousness of your heart. And never, God never, amen, calls for righteousness to be determined by how we look on the outside. You ought to dress in moderation, but, but, but when a dress versus the pants ain't got nothing to do with your righteousness. But if that's your personal conviction, hey, I'm not going to knock you down for that. It's just that, uh, as, as a matter of fact, if you violate your conscience, as it relates to that, the Bible says to you it becomes sin. Because you believe that it was wrong. But I'm, I'm going to encourage you to grow in your faith. Because that's what we're going to talk about in the A chapter, the weaker brother. The brother who, or sister who, who's not into, into that spiritual growth to the point to where they recognize there are certain things that, that we have the liberty to do. And we can do those, but if we got that liberty and that liberty caused another brother to fall, I'll refrain from my liberty. If, if me going, I tell you before, if, if me going to cash my check at Thrifty Lifka bothers you so much, I won't go to Thrifty Liquor and cash my check. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's old school, you know. I, you know, we do direct deposit around here, but anyhow, yeah. You know. But, but if that bothers you, to the point to where it calls you to, to not even want to come to church, I'll go somewhere else and cash my check. Hello, somebody. Because in your mind, if you're going to thrifty to cash it, you're going for something else too. And that's not worth it. Y- y'all don't want y'all pastor to be a drinking pastor, do you? Oh, y'all, y'all don't mind? <laughs> no, no, I, 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 that, that's not me. Okay. So fact number one, God calls people from all positions in life, from all conditions and levels of society. Fact number two, religious distinction, distinction don't matter. Whether you're circumcised or not, that, that, that's irrelevant. God is concerned about your heart being circumcised. Some of these believers were concerned about outward stuff. Fact number three, vocations and social conditions do not matter. I've told y'all before and I, I said again, your title and what you do in the secular world don't matter in this church. Are y'all with me? I thank God that, that, he, that he's gracing and blessing many of us in here to do some, some awesome, powerful things in our careers. But, but I, I, whenever anybody comes in this church, I don't want anybody to feel less than because maybe they don't have a job that's deemed to be prestigious out there in, in the world. That don't matter in here. Are y'all listening to me? That's why we don't place so much emphasis on titles. Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you are the vice president of your company. Maybe you're this and whatever. That's cool. And we're going to celebrate that, but that, that ain't going to be no dominant theme here. Because what you do out there, you, you, you somebody that do what you do out there, and God called you to ministry. So we're not going to make anybody feel like they're less than because they don't have a certain occupation. It ain't about that. Or you don't have a certain religious status. Okay, so so vocations and social conditions do not matter. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what, how much money you make. You are important to the body of Christ. Fact number four: Be faithful in your position, wherever you are. Be faithful. Let's go verse verse number twenty. Let's read. It says, "Yes, each of you should remain as you were when you when God called you." Verse number twenty-one: 
Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. I will. Amen. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave to Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Number, number 24, each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. What he's saying is, guys, listen, what we do, our culture, our background, our upbringing, I mean, we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to divorce ourselves from our, from our, 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 our culture, but just don't let that be the most important thing. Become a slave for Christ. We're saying, you know, because you from wherever you're from, uh, you don't have to divorce yourself from that. Just that allow what Christ is bringing to you to override that. Amen. But you are who you are. God, God made you the way he made you. Your personality bent is your personality bent. Let God deal with you and let God grow you up in your, in your, your unique personality. Okay. Last thing is we get ready to go. The question about whether Christians, I, 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 I don't, I, I got to stop. I'm going to stop right here. Okay. Uh, but, but again, I want I want I want I want you to understand what Paul is saying here. He writes and he begins to answer these questions that these believers had. And I, I pray that you heard everything that was said today. We have liberty and we're going to look at that again in, in this eighth chapter. When we go to that next week, we'll pick up the end of this seventh chapter. and We're going to the eighth chapter and we're going to talk about, amen, uh, how we should not use our Christian liberty, our freedom to cause another brother to stumble or to fall. Jesus gave his life for us out on Calvary, guys. He allowed each and every one of us to uh, to to accept that saving work and become a part of the body of Christ. Let God use you. Let him, let him take you and, and, and take your individual and unique gifts, which we're going to talk about spiritual gifts in this study too. When we get over to that, uh, that 12th chapter, we're going to deal with spiritual gifts. All of us in here have spiritual gifts that God wants to use to advance the kingdom. Let him use you. Let him, let him, let him move, let him move through your life and use those giftings he's given you to help advance the kingdom principle. Jesus died for us out on Calvary, was buried and resurrected so you and I could have a right to enter into a personal relationship with God. How is he using you? Let's let God use each one of us, amen, to the fullest extent possible. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.